Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Welcome to this week's episode of The Flow Line. We're delighted to have Sterling Robinson back in the building for episode two of our Drill Bit series. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, Sterling helped us by giving a brief introduction to drill bits while describing the relationship between drilling fluids and drill bit performance. In this episode, we're going to discuss, uh, you know, performance and applications where, uh, you know, energy has not necessarily increased over time along with specifics related to bit hydraulics and how that's evolved and the importance of, you know, kind of the relationship between drilling fluids and bit hydraulics. But I think we're going to start off, gentlemen. I mean, it's, I wish I would have pressed record right when we got on the, the microphones here because we had some really good conversations around some topics that Matt, actually you came up with. Uh, so I think we start there and, and just kind of address some of these interesting conversations and then we can maybe go into a few more specifics later. So Matt, I'll let you take the floor and, and just kind of carry on where we left off a few minutes ago. Okay. Well, I just feel like, it, I, I mean, it was one of those, I don't know if in the middle of the night or, or whatever, or this morning I got my first cup of coffee and I had all these ideas. And so I, I listed them out and about two minutes before we signed on to this call, I sent them, which is a really great way to help someone prepare for a conversation, right? Um, but uh, Sterling was like, no, no, those are all good questions. Well, you know, I, I think I'm ready to answer them. So, um, uh, you know, one, one of the interesting things that, uh, that came across when we introduced our direct emulsion system, which is called Enerlite, and I know there's a lot, you know, direct emulsion is, is kind of in the Delaware Basin, a huge conversation. Lots of, it's pretty much become the standard. Uh, for the intermediate. Um, but when it, when it initially came out, you know, direct emulsion is a little different than, you know, a brine and that it's got some oil in it. Um, but one of the bit suppliers was having some issues uh, and it sort of pu- puzzled us, I guess, that, you know, the bits were coming out beat up and, and they said, oh, well, this is, um, I think they called it thermal or heat checking, perhaps. Um, and they said, oh, it's it's because of the thermal conductivity of the fluid is different. Um, and it was it was sort of this puzzling, well, we're not that, you know, I'm, I'm not really clear, you know, as far as fluid moving away from a bit and that sort of thing. I didn't I didn't think thermal conductivity would be that bit much of a factor. And so we asked another bit vendor that we kind of knew and they sort of laughed and said, no, they've got a problem with their bits or got a problem with some drilling dynamics. Um, and Sterling, I don't know if maybe you could you could comment on that because I guess anything anytime anything changes, we're going to look for what different happened. This time it was the fluid, but it sounds like the the bits themselves actually had the issue. Um, so just kind of curious your thoughts on heat checking thermal conductivity, where, where maybe that was coming from, and uh, why it did or didn't make sense for someone to say that. Uh, yeah, so I guess the uh, my, my initial thought goes to. There's some validity to that, right? Uh, uh, and and we we can see that uh, not necessarily with the change in drilling fluid. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I was thinking about, like if if we we're running the rigs generators to to the max, and all of a sudden the pump shuts off, well, that bit doesn't stop whenever fluid gets to it. So in that sense. 
you've got you've got a bit that's still spinning with no real fluid flowing past it. That's one of the places that you can get this heat checking, this thermal. And, and, and I think probably the word they're looking for is thermal stability at the cutters because there's only so much they, they can withstand. And, and actually, it would be great to have you guys up to our, uh, our lab here in Houston so you guys can see the cutters on the VTL, which is just basically this rock that spins at a given ROP, and you can see the heat that goes into these. It's, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty fascinating to watch. It's, mm. I mean, anything destructive like that is always fun, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so there's, there's definitely a little bit of validity to the thought process. Um, but I would definitely say that when, for us, I don't know we've, um, and I say us as someone who's worked for four different big companies, uh, I don't think we've ever related the thermal uh, capacity of a fluid to a bit cutter. What we've always related it to is like when we, when we do our CFD analysis, uh, one of the things we look at is uh, shear force or shear stress across the cutter face because that's really important because where your, where your fluid is, it's not there very long. So it can't hold that. It, it, you know, time, there's a time value part of that equation, right? So it can't right. hold that much into it. And then um, the other thing is you've got, you got that cutter buried 20, 30, 100, half. We, sometimes we drill over an inch uh, depth of cut. In that place, there's no way to get fluid, in it, fluid there. So that doesn't make if, – if the failure point is where basically the, the rock and the cutter are interacting, you're not getting fluid there anyway. Mm. So I, I would definitely – um, you know, kind of support the second theory of there's probably more at stake because you know as we uh, take a cutter and braze it into a bit we're using a 12 to 1400 degree Fahrenheit torch and if that's not used properly you can graphitize the cutter and start to see more problems so like just an inexperienced you know person in manufacturing can cause a bigger problem than, you know, th you know th this uh, director molten change in mud. Got it. So it wasn't the mud's fault. Justin and I are going to take that and run with it. <laughs> yeah, Sterling's here to tell well, us. Not, not the mud's fault. <laughs> <laughs> right well I, I, that's i mean that's a pretty good answer uh, and at least for me if, if someone comes to me with that i'll just send them this episode and say hey take a look at this debate my buddy sterling and then i'll be the mediator and i'll still probably be able to tell you that it's not our but you know yeah that'll be our our next uh, uh the the follow-up episode but we may have to like censor it out for language and that kind of thing <laughs> right right well it's uh Speak. I mean, again, we're now that we're on the Delaware topic here, and it, with regards to uh, you know that area, uh, it, the Permian presents a number of different challenges. Something that's extremely unique is um, the characteristics of that cherry brushy canyon series that we drill through in the intermediate section. And, and Matt, you brought this up um, that Fred Dupriest, who's certainly well known around the industry in the drilling world, wrote a paper on drilling through these sections. On the mud side, 
we're really looking at the density of the fluid to make sure that we don't lose returns and blah, blah, blah. However, it, it, it does create some challenges with regards to bit life because of these transition zones. And so, um, Matt, uh, if, if I'm on the right track from what you were describing earlier, that's something that you were interested in hearing from Sterling, right? Yeah, so in March, which we were sort of joking uh, earlier, how long ago March feels, uh, I was actually attended. I attended the SPE conference, drilling and completion conference in Galveston, and that's where this paper was was presented. And uh, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about just what an incredible resource Fred Dupriest has been for the industry, continues to be, um, just a passion for educating and. Um, I will attend anytime I can attend anything he's presenting or read one of one of the papers the papers that he's involved in. I will. I consider it you know required reading. Um, so I sat in on this, and what really struck me was he talked about these abrupt transitions in the brushy and in the Avalon that he he was like, "There's really not much you can do. Like they just beat the crap out of bits, for lack of a better description, because they transition so rapidly that it's." Uh, um, you know, it's, it's a real problem or a real challenge. Um, and anyways, um, and, and I think if you read enough of Fred's work, you'll understand mechanical specific energy and, uh, you know, how important weight on bit is and how people can be reluctant because they see that damage. And so they'll say, Oh, I need to slack off on my weight on bit. And actually they create more problems. Um, anyways, Sterling, um, that was kind of a gobbledygook question, but uh, we know you, you know some of that pretty intimately. And, and could you just kind of comment on some of the observations and learnings that, that Fred was sharing? Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, this was, uh, a, a, I guess, a project that was kind of close, close to my heart as well because it was, it was done with Marcus Rendon on it, uh, at Noble and then uh, Tyrell uh, Cunningham and Sam Norrant were at the guys from A&M that, that were part of this project. So, um, I, I mean, honestly, so, such a fun project to really dive into arguably at the time, which was the most important challenging application. Obviously there might be more challenging applications in the world, but the Delaware was where we were getting money out of. Mm. So that's, that's a get, what gave it its importance. And we went, over so many bit dulls, we went over so many different uh, di- di- different scenarios. And what you know, what we really learned is that as we transition through different zones, if you're going from a a soft zone to a hard zone, now we're loading the the nose of the bit more, and we start to see failure there. But what that well, uh, what that really turned into was well, what happens on the other side of the equation? What happens when we go from a hard zone to a stop uh, to a soft zone, and we've got uh, you know what does the loading look like? So we 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 did some modeling to show that when that happens, the nose is fine, which is what we were seeing in the doles. Um, the cone can be overloaded. Uh, and then the shoulders overloaded because you've got this bit entering this this harder uh, this softer formation, and now all because that softer formation isn't taking as much uh, uh, energy on the bit, 
it's taking that energy and transferring it to the, the cone and the shoulder of the pit, which is exactly where we're seeing all the damage. Uh, which is why we went to manage depth of cut through those intervals. And, I, and we were doing that through, through parameters. We were doing that through uh, a, a, little, a little bit of me mechanical aspects of, of the drill bits. So there were, you know, there, as, as much as we could, but, you know, to your, to your point, you know, one of the other things we learned is the second you, you get below a certain threshold of weight on bit, your depth of cut drops so low, the bit starts whirling. Well, that's what throws. So we had to, we had to go through the, uh, the EDR data to decide, okay, was this a formation change or was this because we drilled this poorly? Mm. And went back and forth, uh, but I do think, in a way, uh, we 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 have as an industry. I think we figured out how to how to to address this problem at this point. And I think a lot of that. I mean, a lot of this work went on well before March twenty twenty, of course. Um, but the problem is, the answers are really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the bits and the trips. Are cheaper than all the all the um, all the hello. Yep, yep, we got you. Sorry, I got a, a call coming in and it's jumping on my. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, we're, we're you're loud and clear still. Uh, let me answer this real quick. Yeah, hold on, I'll pause it. All right, and we're back. This that happens. Real life oil field stuff. We got to take phone calls every once in a while, but Sterling, go ahead. You were talking about, you know, basically, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the solution is such that it's, you might as well just make a bid trip. So go ahead and, and sort of finish your uh, thought on that, if you don't mind. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so you've really got, uh, you've really got two uh, op options. <clears throat> you either drill fast uh, and then trip fast and, 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 use uh cheap, cheaper drive tools you know motors things along those lines the other the other option is that you're using uh you know expensive drill collars and a lot and a, and a lot of them possibly uh rotary steerable bits that are even even more expensive because they've been spent spent more time uh, uh developing new technologies for it so there's there's definitely as as usual, there's a way to solve the problem, but it's a, it goes back to that cost benefit analysis. And uh, you know, from Noble in this situation, once they kind of came to the, that that conclusion of we're gonna have at least one bit trip in this interval, let's knock that first one out real quick, get a new bit in the hole, and 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 get ideally get the TD in two bits. Yeah, and they, yeah. and they've had some fantastic result, results doing that. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's uh, an interesting exercise and, and one that I know even from my own experience uh, being out there uh, with, with our customers, it's, it was a high talk or very common topic of discussion, um, you know, figuring out where the trip point was. And, and like you said, just kind of going back and forth on, well, let's, you know, let's go ahead and see if we can knock this all the way out and get as deep as we can on one or, you know, get there fast, come out fast and then rock and roll. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, I guess every, every company has their own flavor of how they do things. Um, 
but uh, you know, it, it's good to see that as an, like I said, as an industry, we slowly figured it out and, and hopefully uh, can continue to evolve from that point. But uh, <clears throat> so what about uh, Matt, you had one other comment and, and I'll let you keep going with that. And it kind of ties into this, um, you know, talking about different, just weight on bits and uh, you know, again, I'll, I'll let you, I'm not going to try and put words in your mouth, but there was one other thing you had brought up. I just, I, I thought it was interesting. Like it, we've talked, we talked in the last episode about how much, you know, cutter quality has gotten so much better. And and one thing Fred emphasized was he said, look, you know, the, the fact is that when you see a chipped cutter, for example, it's not because it broke on the rock. Um, you know, the unconfined compressive strength of the diamond, you know, PDC cutter relative to the rock, that's not what did it. It's, some other energy, you know, whirl or, you know, stick slip or, or, you know, some tremendous amount of energy had to be given in to damage this thing. Um, and so understanding that, uh, it is, is pretty important because some folks will see a chip cutter and say, Oh, I was, I had too much weight on bid. I need to, you know, let off. And that actually makes things worse. Uh, you know, having not enough weight on bit can actually make, make things worse and cause more bit damage than, you know, having the right amount. Um, and he emphasizes that tremendously in a number of other, other, other papers, but, um, just, I, I think it was an interesting point for a mud engineer to hear and, and Sterling, maybe you could just comment on that. No, I think there, there's definitely a, a fine line. And, uh, you know, one, one of the things that we've, we, we've, uh, we've, <laughs> I guess moving the line is not so fine. Uh, but one of the things that we've even challenged customers before is, uh, is is to put enough weight on the bit that they they core the bit out because we're trying we're like we need to find that limit and then other okay seventy thousand pounds is too much okay try drill at sixty and then the bit's engaged the entire time and you don't have to worry about the bit getting in the world which is the worst thing because you know then we get into these uh, as Fred was talking these accelerative forces. It's not just like the rock scraping against the, the side of the, the whole wall that's, that's doing this. It, it's when that bit is really not centered and it's just also moving around the hole and you get this accelerative force uh, into the rock, rock because, you know, I've, I've been asked before by customers, well, you know, what's the failure strength? Like if you, if we fix the cutter, um, and then push the force at the very end. When would it break? I was like, we don't have tools that will actually break that. Like not not just by not inherently by itself. Uh, so, but so the the cutter is all is always way stronger than the rock. That doesn't mean it can't fail through accelerative forces and and vibrations and things along those lines. Or if you get in that thermally uh, stable uh, part of the question where as, as that cutter starts gravitizing, then it loses its strength much, much more quickly. So yeah, there's a, I would absolutely agree with, with Fred's comment there is like, there's a lot, if we could just drill in a perfectly straight, you know, concentric hole the entire time, we would, we would have very little problems. <laughs> mm. No kidding. Well, it's kind of, it even reminds me of just drilling a hole in the wall. Uh, if you're drilling through something hard with a, with your drill, 
and you kind of apply some light pressure, that drill's going to want to bounce around. But as soon as you put a bunch of weight on that and you crank up the RPMs on that son of a gun, chances are you're going to, if it doesn't want to drill, it's not going to bounce around and kick you all around. It's just going to not drill. And so yeah. like, I kind of, to me, as someone who doesn't really understand, you know, the, the, the physics on like a really, you know, in-depth level, that to me makes sense just, you know, from, from that yeah. aspect. So I don't know if that similarly applies, but. No, it's a perfect example. Like, say you're trying to drill a, an eight-inch piece of steel for this bench you're making in, in your garage, and you take your drill bit and you, you start spinning it and it starts, starts walking. What's the first thing you do? You, lit you literally lean into it, yeah. put more quote-unquote weight on bit, into it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's a good, I mean, it's, you know, very simple, but I think it's something that you know, sometimes you have to, you know, take a step back and, you know, keep it simple, as they say. Uh, so with weight on bit, are there certain models that allow you to kind of create a roadmap based off different formations, compressive strengths and stuff like that to say, okay, through this formation, you're going to apply this much weight on bit. And then as you transition, you're going to either increase, decrease. I mean, how, how do operators or big companies or even drill you know, directional drilling, how do they kind of come up with what, what the ideal weight on bit is assuming you have enough data points to model something? So one of the things we've we've done as an industry in the past uh, five to ten years, I mean, it's really I, I would say it's really accelerated uh, in the uh, past five years. Is it is parameter roadmaps is what what we call them. Um, and at Verrill, we have we've got a geoscience team, you know, filled with geologists where we like. I I really do feel like we have the best understanding. To the extent when I was at uh, Altera, I was like, you, pr you probably want to get their geoscience because it's, it's really good. <laughs> like, <laughs> nice. Like, we can do better if we have that their stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, so there, that's how we, we go and look at it. You take historical analysis if you have it. And we, we tend to have some kind of historical analysis in a field at, at this point in time. Uh, and knowing what you can and kind of like, and that gives you your limits, if you will. And then you take that and you take it through a really good uh, rock strength analysis that shows you not just rock strength, but abrasiveness, your, um, uh, the, the, ty the type of rock, the porosity, all of those things where we can then apply like, okay, if it's really abrasive, we're backing down the RPMs. You know, that, that, you know, we want to increase the depth of cut so that we can, it's not so much slowing down the, slowing down the ROP. It's about, we're going to get this energy in a different format. We're going to lower the RPMs, raise the weight on bit, because that's the easiest, easiest way to make that cutter travel a smaller, a shorter path and not burn itself up. Mm -hmm. um, in, in other uh, places, it may be, <clears throat> hey you're in a salt you can't throw enough energy at this bit particularly because most of the salts are are up, up high in the the well bore <clears throat> but you it's like just what, what's my limit and i was like you you don't have enough pipe in the hole to have a limit like go <laughs> <laughs> yeah no kidding no that's neat it, it's cool to see how that stuff's evolved i would imagine back in the day is just you threw as much weight on there as you could and turned the RPMs up and away you went. So it's, uh, it, it's cool to see that there's actually, you know, some sort of science and, and planning going into these, these types of things. And 
Yeah, well, I think ultimately it helps. We're, uh, uh, right now, a lot of times, uh, you know, it's like for lateral VHAs, we're running into MWD limits. Um, mm. No, no yeah. longer uh, an MWD might be maxed out at 350 RPM. Okay, well, we're going to run at 325, uh, but we happily run more because the bit's pulling green. Yeah. Yeah, no. So I guess, yeah, that, that kind of leads me to my next question is what is the biggest limiter right now? It doesn't sound like it's, uh, you know, material performance on bit from the bit perspective. It sounds like it's more technology limited via downhole tools. Uh, am I allowed to say money? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's sure. There's certainly an economics uh, uh, reasoning behind it as well. Yeah, ca- capital expenditure being being cut back uh, definitely you know limits performance because the the things that have been developed the 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 large high torque motors the uh, the faster rev, rev per gallon motors you know the, the, those have it's not like they they had three to five years in the industry to pay off their R and D and to pay off their their inventory right so mm. you know that that, that stuff costs costs money and I guess that that you know, kind of lead into the next discussion about, you know, what are we done when we don't have energy? Uh, right. but, I mean, probably, probably the, you know, the biggest limiter that I've seen is, is still the actual hesitancy to, to apply the new, the latest and greatest. Mm-hmm. And that's a know, function of the market and economics. Yeah. Well, and, and even even before then, because we're sitting at the you know, what's all of a forty two something, but like even though we were sitting in the, in that ballpark, rate count was already dropping before you know this uh, last downturn. So people were already hesitant to go out and spend, have their drilling costs uh, possibly increase. They don't. I mean, it, it should decrease because of efficiency, but it, they hadn't been proven to them in their wells at their time. So I really think it's that you know it's that appetite for, and that's a, and I know I know you guys see this with, with your customers. There are those customers that are like cowboys, like let's try the new, the greatest and, and the greatest thing, <laughs> yeah. and you know, you know, if we if, if we if we cannot set this uh, string of casing, we'll rock and roll. Like, right. you know, uh, but then, and then you've got you've got your much more conservative um, uh, companies who don't want that initial uh, tangible cost. They don't want to spend on. And that is Batman, our cat. Oh. <laughs> nice. Right on. Well, uh, I mean, I think these are all. Pretty interesting points. I know, Justin, you lined up a, a number of questions on bit hydraulics that I'm, I'm pretty interested to dive into. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, certainly I want to respect your time, so we may not be able to cover it all. Um, but but I think one thing I was curious about was was just bit hydraulics. I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a term that gets thrown around, um, but I would love to hear sort of a high level, what is bit hydraulics? Um, and what kind of technologies have improved with respect to, to bit hydraulics and, and a couple other questions I have following that, but I think first and foremost, just describing what, what it means, what it is. So, I mean, I, I guess the simplest explanation is, uh, is how uh, the fluid flows through the bit. So it's going to 
uh, in a standard nozzle configuration, it's going to flow. Um, its, its first contact point is likely the, uh, the bottom of the hole wall. And then it's going, it's going to be set at an angle. So then it will then move itself down, down the junk slot area. Uh, and that is, and, and that where we, our whole gamut of playing uh, with, with those was basically the, the whole size of the, of the nozzle. Uh, Halliburton had some horizontal nozzles back in the day that, you know, were designed for gumbo and things along those lines. Uh, but, you know, wh where we used to look at it was uh, your, your hydraulic horsepower, HSI, and your impact force. So in, let's take, you know, go back to the Delaware. Impact force in, uh, in a hard limestone doesn't really mean much. You're not gonna wash the rock away. <laughs> That's why it takes a, you know, a cutter, that, a cutter to, you know, and 70,000 pounds to break the rock and, and, and remove it. So impact force became less of an issue and now it was like, well, we're cutting with the, you know, as it's evolved, we, we've decided that we've realized that we're cutting with the, uh, with, with the cutters. We're creating these cuttings. How do we remove them as efficiently as possible? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, as we discussed, I mean, there's de de definitely really two people who have put a lot of time and effort in this, uh, that being uh, Veril and Altair, where you've see, seen their product lines. I think I've seen you guys, you know, sheets on our uh, Hydro product line and then the, the split blade uh, Altair product line. And I was lucky enough to be there. Uh, I've actually have both of those companies to have enough knowledge to be, uh, to get myself in trouble, I should say. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, they, um, so to go into the question about, you know, what's changed, what we've, and instead of just looking at, you know, impact force, what kind of TFA we needed, what kind of pressure drop across the bed, those are the things that um, we used to look at that were focused on what the rig's capabilities were, not necessarily what the bit wanted. The bit always wants more hydraulic energy. Right. Uh, so you, you, it'll take every bit of it until you get to an erosion situation which usually that can also be mitigated through solid, solids control and things along those lines. Um, hmm. So what, with, the, with the hydro program, uh, started off with, the, with these curved nozzles where we literally take the, uh, uh, the nozzle and, and as fluid flows through it, we can cur curve that, that flow and get that flow to move um, along the, bl the blade and increase the shear stress across across those cutters which is what we we we, we look at flow lines in, in cfd but one of the most important things is shear stress like how, how well are we moving uh, that energy across the cutter uh, even if even if the flow lines say it's going over there what is the actual force that that's being being applied to help clean and cool that that cutter? Um, and then uh, that's why we usually have one 
one nozzle extra per primary blade is because we'll take the same uh, curved nozzle and point it basically direct, directly at the shoulder, which needs the most uh, cleaning and cooling. It's cutting the highest oh, okay. volume of rock and has the highest rate of velocity. Hmm. That's, oh, sorry, were you going to say something? Oh, I was going to say, so like, and on, on the Altera side, it's, a, it, it's really a lot of the same con, uh, concepts. It's how do you get the energy out to the shoulder of, of, of the bed? Hmm. Uh, you know, that's, uh, and, 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 I, and I haven't really seen uh, other uh, operators dive into this. And I think it's where we've seen the biggest benefit is in 12 and a quarter. Now, you see a benefit with curved nozzles in our slim hole bits. Uh, but we don't do the web blades, which help direct flow. You know, on, a, on a twelve and a quarter with web blades, we're directing flow much more towards the towards the, the shoulder of the, of the bit, and that and that's where that comes into play. Gotcha. So uh, there's programs out there that that help sort of uh, that combine hydraulic re uh, requirements and cutting structure that ultimately allows you to design fit for purpose applications. Uh, can you tell us sort of how that, that works? And, and if, is that something that you do kind of well by well, or is it more area specific or what does that look like? It's area, area specific. And then um, I would say interval specific. Mm. Um, you know, we, we don't apply our, our web blades in a, uh, in a slim hole environment. Uh, there, there's just not enough room on the bit. I mean, we could put a web there, but we, the, the bit is in more need of having open face volume, but the, uh, but the curved nozzles are still, still coming to play. So we, okay. tend to, we tend to tailor to a certain extent where in the, um, in a, like a 12 and a quarter section, we're going to throw the whole kit and caboodle at it because you've got the, you've got the room and with some of the, the bigger operators, you've got the energy to make use out of it. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah. So Sterling, what's, what's changed in hydraulics where you've seen the biggest impact on performance? I mean, does anything come to mind? One of the things that definitely comes to mind is uh, our, our rigs where, uh, we don't have a lot of pumps. We don't have a lot of energy. Uh, that's where we're actually seeing the biggest jump in uh, in performance with with our curved nozzles. Uh, you know, with these hydro hydraulic things that we're doing in, uh, as an industry. Where on on the flip side, you're going to get a benefit with um, these high horsepower rigs because you, obviously you throw enough energy at it, you're going to cut rock. Um, and you're gonna gonna remove it, but when you don't have the energy, if you're drilling, you know, with the with the rig that's Derek height is, uh, or sorry, which floor height is, is shorter than you are, then you, you're just not gonna have that energy. And and what we realized early on was we had such a a, a greater benefit by getting the the nozzle flow out to the shoulder and protecting the shoulder of that twelve and a quarter bit versus you know versus standard nozzles i mean it was something on the order of you know 50 percent increase in um in in depth drilled and not as much as in in rop hmm. but then again 
it, it goes a long way. And also we saw our DVR percentage go way down on, on those, uh, the, the energy, the rigs without a lot of energy. Hmm. Interesting. That is, that is, it's, you know, it's, it's wild. Cause the more I listen to you, the more I real, it's like, you know, the more you learn, the more you don't know. Uh, and, and I realize how much I don't know about bits. And so this has been extremely valuable for me and, and hopefully for the listeners as well. And, uh, Matt, do you, this is probably about as much time as we have for this episode. Do you have any, any other comments or questions for Sterling before we head out? No, this is really interesting. I really appreciate your thoughts, Sterling. I just, uh, I'll probably end up following up with you with multiple random emails in the future, just because, uh, sort of piqued my curiosity on something I hadn't given as much thought for a while. So thank you. Thank you guys. And, uh, and thanks for this podcast for, because the closer we work together as service companies, the better we understand each other, the better performance our customers get. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, listening to you guys, this podcast has been eye-opening. Like, oh. Yeah, no, the, the, the sort of the cross pollination, if you will, or even just sort of integrating different vendors or talking amongst each other, I think is, is good uh, because we get so often sort of pigeonholed in our own worlds to where we don't necessarily understand, uh, you know, how it all ties together and how one thing that we do may impact something else and vice versa. And so, uh, I think these types of conversations are great and this has certainly been a good platform for us to do so. And so again, Sterling, thanks again for your time. Uh, and everyone out there, if there's any topics that we covered that you, you know, have any questions or want uh, some more clarification on, or even just some, uh, a story that you want to share, you can hit us up. Uh, if it's more for Sterling, uh, I'll put his link into, or we'll put his, uh, his LinkedIn link in the show notes. Um, and you can find him on LinkedIn. You can find Matt and I on LinkedIn. And if you have a question that you want to email us, hit us up at the full line podcast at aesfoods.com and we'll be sure to bring it up. And, uh, if it's a good enough question, we might even make an episode around it. So we encourage the listeners to reach out and ask anything you like. And with that being said, Matt Sterling, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to our bid series. Take care for now. We'll catch you on the other side. Thanks everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.